We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Tuesday, October 16th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Damon. Coming up on today's show, we are going to talk to Mike Barrett from the Military Officers Association of America. They are, of course, an organization that focuses on issues not just pertaining to officers, but pertaining to everybody. Because as we all know, a good officer takes care of their soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, etc. Although, really... I guess those are the only categories that they take care of, but you know what I mean. Well, what MOA is doing right now, they've got a survey going on that focuses on the new blended retirement system, specifically on those people who are between uh, essentially 1 and 12 years who have to decide whether they want to stick with the old system or move to the new system, the blended retirement system. We're going to talk to Mike about that survey, why they're doing it, and what they hope to learn from it. Since this is already in place, it's not something that can be changed. And the survey is actually running right up until about the point where uh, the the decision-making time comes to an end. Those people who joined before January 1st of this year up to 12 years ago have until December 31st of this year to make that decision. So we'll talk to Mike about that survey. And then, well, and then that's it. That's going to be our main interview today. But first, we've got a lot to talk about here, including a story you might have seen on national news. You certainly had seen on ConnectingVets.com if you checked that out. And that is the story of a United States Army reservist. 29-year-old Xavier M. Boston of Charlotte, North Carolina, has been found guilty of six counts of sex trafficking and one related charge. So this guy, who it turns out was a military policeman ironically enough, actually had four victims that were all struggling with opioid addictions. Young ladies struggling with uh, the addictions that come along with opioids. He promised them drugs and a place to live and then put them up, advertised for prostitution, collecting the proceeds for himself and using those opioids and other drugs to coerce them into doing what he wanted them to do. He's already in custody. He will be sentenced later. Each sex trafficking charge carries a minimum sentence of 15 years in prison. So found guilty of six counts. By my count, and I'm not great at math, that's 90 years that he's facing minimum for those sex trafficking charges. Doesn't say uh, what the one related charge is or how much more time that would add, but it looks like if he ever gets out of prison, he will be a very old man when that happens. Of course, you need to take things like uh, parole into account, but 29-year-old MP, who's essentially a pimp, who essentially abducted four people, drug addicts, and plied them with drugs, put them up for prostitution, kept the money for himself. It's another one of those examples of, you know, when people come up to you and say like, oh, I respect all veterans and what they do. I understand the point that they're making, but there are really some dirtbags in the military and veteran community. We know that. You've met them. (laughs) You may be one of them. I don't know. That's the thing. Of course, someone who wears the uniform, they get that initial uh, bit of respect, but then they need to prove it. Just wearing the uniform does not make you a good person. Doesn't make you a great person. Doesn't make you a bad person. Makes you a person in a uniform. It's what you do 
while and after, and in this case of this 29-year-old reservist, uh, when you are not on duty, that makes you good or bad. And I think it's pretty safe to say, now that he's convicted of six counts of sex trafficking, uh, 29-year-old Xavier M. Boston, United States Army Reserve military policeman, is one of the bad ones. One of the bad eggs. But you know what? One bad egg doesn't spoil the whole bunch, does it? I don't think that's the saying, but you know what I mean. It's close enough. This guy is, he's an outlier. This isn't something that's happening regularly, but it is something that does happen out there uh, regularly as far as the world is concerned. It's just that we happen to have a veteran involved in it, and it's disgusting. It's sickening, and I, for one, am glad that he's gotten a minimum of 90 years that he's going to spend in prison. Again, take away the possibility of parole. I don't know what the deal is with uh, his specific charges as it relates to that, but... We'll, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on that, I guess, if they uh, ever sentence him. That's still coming up. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. And I am a veteran. And you know what? One of my duty stations, that, if I'm being honest, was not my favorite because of the, the work, the job, the command, was Guam. I was stationed on board a ship there, and I was incredibly unhappy to the point where I volunteered to go to Afghanistan to get off of a tropical island. Mm-hmm. You know what I did love about that tropical island and what helped me keep my sanity while I was struggling at my command there? Diving. I took up scuba diving while I was in Guam. It was really cheap uh, compared to other places in the world. I think you paid like $140, and that included your lessons, your mask, your snorkel, your fins, and I got top quality mask, snorkel, and fins when I started out there. And after a basically a week of in-class stuff and then your, your dive training, you were a diver, and you were able to go out and dive literally every day on the beautiful island of Guam. There are amazing uh, fish and all sorts of other wildlife in the water, turtles and nemones. It was my respite from a god-awful command where I was just miserable on my way in, miserable on my way home, just misery each and every day that I was there, which kind of seemed... I don't know, counter counterintuitive, because I was on this beautiful tropical island. It was 90 degrees every day. There was beautiful scuba diving. That diving is what kept me sane. And now there's a program taking place at the Odyssey Aquarium out in Scottsdale, Arizona, that's trying to use diving to help out some of our wounded warriors. This is being reported by Fox 10 out there in Scottsdale, and it focuses on the story, a retired soldier named Stephen Martin. He was injured in Afghanistan. Now, the the information they give you on his injury are that he and his crew ran over a detonated Humvee. I don't know if that's right or if he was in a Humvee that ran over an IED. Seems more likely, but you never know. Things happen. Broke all of his ribs, both hips, left arm and elbow. Uh, They tried saving both of his legs, but in 2009, which was years after he was injured, he decided he'd be better off without them. Hmm. Imagine having to make that decision. I know people who are living with having to make that decision in the coming days, months, and years. It's a pretty pretty horrifying thing to think about, but when you have had to go through it, life goes on, right? Well, the Army and National Guard veteran told the TV station Fox 10 life has been pretty sweet ever since, saying it's weird to think that something so crazy can lead to so many different opportunities, including the Sea Trek diving program at the Odyssey Aquarium. He said that since taking his, uh, deciding to lose his legs, and again, the injuries, the pain was just too much, he decided eventually uh, to lose the legs in 2009, it's difficult to walk, and that would make sense, of course, you know, he's on prosthetics, it's not easy, well, when you get in the water, you're weightless, 
It's, a, it's an amazing feeling. If you've never gone scuba diving before, I highly recommend taking uh, PADI, Professional Association of Dive Instructors. They have something called a Discover Scuba course where you can go into a pool with the instructors and just kind of feel it out, float around, see what it's like to float upside down, see what it's like to sit on the bottom and just watch the water up above your head. It's relaxing. It's great exercise. It's good breathing practice as well. And in this case, it's something that can allow someone who has difficulty moving from point A to point B on the ground, succeed at it in the water and just beautifully flow through. You'd be amazed at the difference it can make for people who have uh, different abilities physically or disabilities. However you want to look at it, you get underwater and just about everybody is equal and everybody is able to move along. It's great to see that the Odyssey Aquarium, this is out in Scottsdale, Arizona again, has this Sea Trek diving program where they they work to bring veterans into their pools and have them swim around and check out scuba diving. I'd like to see more things like that. That's that's an activity that I know can be incredibly relaxing, can be incredibly fulfilling, particularly when you get out into tropical water and you're diving with fish and eels and see sharks every once in a while, dolphins occasionally. Uh, It's amazing. And it's one of those outside-the-box things that I think could probably be just as effective as some of the medications that they have people on. Yeah, I know there are medications that you need for extreme pain. And when it comes to extreme pain, unfortunately, those opioids are kind of a big deal. But when it comes to that mental pain that we're going through, when it comes to the PTSD and all the other things, I think that thinking outside the box for things like scuba diving or like War Horses for Veterans, who we talked to uh, Patrick Benson just the other day, I think these outside the box finding ways to spend your time in a positive way, in a relaxing way, in a way that allows you to focus on something so much that you don't even think about everything that's happening out here. You you got tunnel vision. You're looking on what's in front of you. When you're scuba diving, it is a fun hobby. It's a relaxing hobby. It's also dangerous. If you're not paying attention to what's going on, you run out of air, you go too deep, all these different things that can happen. It's not a good situation. So Again, it causes you to focus on that. So if you're down diving for, let's say, 45 minutes or something like that, that whole time, it's all you're thinking about. You're thinking about what you're seeing. You're thinking about what you're doing. You're not thinking of all the other crap that's outside here. And that's kind of what these outside-the-box programs like, the the Sea Trek program out at the Odyssey Aquarium in Scottsdale or War Horses for Veterans out in Kansas – They're all aiming to do that, to give veterans who are struggling something to focus on that doesn't have them dwell in the negativity. It doesn't have them dwell in the pain, and that's huge. And I'd like to see more and more of that, and I think we are, because I think as they're more and more effective, you're going to have – good morning, Andy. How are you doing today? You're going to have more people um, taking advantage of programs like that, which means you'll have more people starting programs like that, and it really can be a positive, positive thing. Now, moving on to something that's not been so positive, the VA. We've talked about it every day on the show. You know we have. The VA's medical care, often excellent. The VA's administrative qualities, not so good. Don't match up with the medical care, particularly at those VA medical centers that have a one-star rating or that have had big problems in the news. I think of uh, the one that I went to up on Long Island who had to shut down their operating rooms because a bunch of crap started shooting out of the vents in the rooms where they do surgery. (laughs) Not a very good thing to have happening. Here's another one, and it's right down the street from where we are right now. We're talking about the VA Medical Center in Washington, D.C. 
They've got a new director. And if that story sounds familiar, well, it should. Because this gentleman, Mr. Michael Heimall, he's a former Army officer who was sworn in yesterday as the head of the D.C. VA Medical Center. He is the fifth person to serve in that role in the last 18 months. Five directors in 18 months for one VA Medical Center. Not only that, it's the VA Medical Center in our nation's capital. The one that you would expect, the one that you would hope, the one that you would think would be the crown jewel of the VA Medical Center system. It's just struggling, and it has been. This is the one where the VA Medical Center director last year in D.C., they fired him. And then the union put him back into place, essentially, saying, well, you didn't fire him properly. So he goes back into the job for like a couple months and then was fired again, thanks to the Whistleblower Protection uh, Act that went in there. And, the, the you know, they, they put in that new act last year to make it easier to fire people. Well, the head of the D.C. VA Medical Center was one of the big ones to go early on. But they've had trouble finding someone since then. Again, five people have served in that role in 18 months. And if you go back 18 months... Well, 18 months, what are we talking about? I guess that would be uh, actually before that guy was fired. So uh, I think it's it's really in the last 12 months you've probably had those five people there, unless we're counting the temporary one when he was fired and then before he came back into the job. I don't know. But here's what Robert Wilkie, the secretary of the VA, had to say in a statement. Michael's proven experience is what we need to continue to stabilize and make further improvements at the medical center. I believe our employees, volunteers, and veterans will greatly benefit from his strong leadership. Now, a VA Inspector General report in March found huge deficiencies, including a lack of clean storage for medical equipment, glaring leadership void, again, five people in the head role in 18 months, and more than open or pending 10,000 prosthetic and sensory aid consults. So there were more than 10,000 open or pending prosthetic and sensory aid consults which had some veterans who needed prosthetics or hearing aids or visual aids. Months they had to wait for those needed devices. Imagine that. Imagine you need a prosthetic leg to be able to move around properly, and they're just like, well, you know, we're busy. You're just going to have to wait. That's something that needs to be taken care of ASAP. In July, the center was placed under administrative review and classified as critical, with the biggest insufficiencies being in employee satisfaction, patient access, and mental health. The previous director, Brian Hawkins, he was fired last year. That was after the internal investigation found veterans faced excessive risk due to shortages of medical supplies. He was the one who was brought back in afterwards to that top position when the union said, no, 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 you didn't fire him the right way. Then they put in the uh, Whistleblower Accountability and Protection Act, uh, and that that finally led to him being out of there. So yesterday was Heimel's first day on the job, and they say that staff over there are actually excited about it. But then again, is that real? Do you know? I don't know. It just seems odd to me that the VA Medical Center that should be under the closest watch from the VA leadership it's right, right there with them in Washington, D.C., has had these issues. What was going on with not, not Secretary Shulkin? He's the one who finally fired the guy who was running the DA Med- D.C. Medical Center. What was going on with the previous uh, Secretary of the VA? Why was this guy in there for so long? And then why did it take so long to find someone to run the center? Uh, there's a lot of questions about it. And if the VA can't run properly, the VA Medical Center that's literally closest to their office, that's in the same city, what what sort of confidence should we have in them and their ability to run one in Miami? 
which is, you know, 1,000 miles away, or one in San Francisco, which is 3,000 miles away. Pick any other place that's not just a couple of blocks away, and how likely are they to be able to run that center properly compared to the one that's right down the street and they can't keep an eye on things over there? You hope that it's just one guy, this uh, Michael Heimall, is going to be able to turn things around, and I guess that's happened before, but mm, I don't know. Again, you start losing confidence in an organization when you see the same issues happening over and over and over again. And the VA, uh, you know, we've just seen it. We've seen it too many times. And it tends not to be the doctors. It tends to be the the directors of the medical center. It tends to be the, the administration people, the bookkeepers, the ones who are taking care of your records or supposed to. I've talked about how my dental record was lost almost immediately after I got out of the military. VA had it for like a couple weeks. I went to go get it to bring it to something. They're like, oh, we don't have that. Well, who does? I gave it to you. Where did it go? Just threw it in the circular file, I guess. So, yeah, that's uh, that's a story that's worth keeping an eye on and worth seeing. Can they do it? Can they keep track of this place that's right down the street from them and get that one running well? When they can do that, then you start getting some confidence that maybe they can start doing the same with some of their other trouble spots outside of the Washington, D.C. area. Law school. I've not been to it. Andy Nelson, who I believe is watching the show right now, he has. He's a lawyer. So... I was told by a professor in college, like, you know, law school might be a good choice for you. You're good at uh, debating things, arguing things. You have a good mind for it. And I said, I don't want to go to school any longer than I have to. So that's absolutely not going to happen. But law school is a great way to move towards a great career in law or in the law adjacent fields. It might require a law degree. Well, if you are a Marine and you want to go into the law field, have I got a program to tell you about. This is out at Arizona State University's law school, and they are giving scholarships to Marines and Special Forces personnel to actually go to law school out there. So this is what the name of the program is. Hold on. There you go. It's a full-ride veteran scholarship provided to the Sandra Day O'Connor, of course, a former uh, member of the Supreme Court, Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law at Arizona State University. And we've got a couple of Marines who are going in there through this. Now, there are two scholarships for those Marines. The Richard Romley Scholarship is named after a Marine Vietnam veteran and Purple Heart recipient who also graduated from Arizona State University's law program. And then you've also got, uh, hold on. Oh, man. Yeah, our computer's flipping out here a little bit. The R.J. Mitchell Scholarship, named after another Marine veteran who completed two combat tours in Iraq and graduated from ASU as well. So they have um, these two scholarships there, and then there are two others. So two go to Marine Corps veterans, and then two go to veterans of the special operations community, such as Rangers, Green Berets, SEALs, Marine Marsoc, Recon. You know who the special operations community is. So they have these scholarships available for law school, which is not cheap, man. You want to go to law school, you're going to be paying a pretty penny. Okay, if you have your GI Bill left, that may cover some or even all of it. I guess it depends. If you're like Saul Goodman, you can go to the uh, the University of American Samoa Law School. There are other options out there. But to go to a top-flight law school like Arizona State for free is a huge deal. And the fact that they have two scholarships just for Marines and then two for special operations community, it's fantastic. Of course, there. I'm sure there are going to be people out there, well, why aren't there scholarships for the for the sailors and the airmen and the soldiers? Hey, I'm a sailor. I get it. You want some of the good stuff, too. These scholarships were enacted in the name of Marines who graduated from the Sandra Day O'Connor Law School 
at Arizona State University. So that's why. And then, of course, you've got the other two for the special operations communities. Uh, It's good to see more people getting into that field because uh, the law field is important in a number of ways. It's important in making sure that the laws are upheld. It's important in making sure that when the laws are unfair that they are challenged. Lawyers, for all the bad rap that they get, do a lot of great things. They do a lot of important things. If you get in some legal trouble, you're going to be glad that there's lawyers out there and you'll be you'll be holding those lawyer jokes in just a little bit longer. So if you are interested in this, well, you can go to ConnectingVets.com and you can go ahead and click on the story. And we've also got a story uh, link in there about the new scholarship for Marine and Special Forces veterans uh, that's on the website as well. That's got links to it and everything. Or just contact the Arizona State University Law School and look into these two scholarships. If you're a Marine, they're for you. If you're Special Operations, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, whatever, it's open to you as well. And those are good things. You know what else is a good thing? It's when someone gets an award that they should have been given but never got, whether it was through a clerical error or some other sort of mistake. And I'm not talking about the young lady down in Florida who is now campaigning for a bronze star that she thinks she should have gotten but apparently was never awarded. There's a different story going on here. This is coming from the Navy Office of Information, Public Affairs, Chimpo over there. And it involves a World War II Navy veteran named Wilbur F. Hoffman. He is 100 years old. And just a couple weeks ago, on September 29th, in his hometown of Livingston, New Jersey, he was presented the Bronze Star for his heroic actions on the USS Hughes, which was a destroyer that was hit by a bomb. Assistant Secretary of the Navy Greg Slavonich, who joined the award ceremony at St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Livingston, said it was a distinct honor to attend the ceremony. I saw pictures of it. You have an admiral there uh, providing him with that award. Um, There is just so much to love about this story. It was presented often by Rear Admiral Scott Jarabek for his heroic achievement related to combat operations against the enemy December 10th, 1944. He was in charge of the forward fire room when the Hughes was hit by a bomb off Leyte in the Philippine Islands. Of course, you know about Leyte Gulf and all that. Of course, he earned the recognition back in the days of World War II. This is an award that he was given. Good morning, Karina. How are you doing today? This was an award that he was awarded but because of the, the 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 grand scale of World War II and the operational tempo, he never got it. He was never presented with the actual medal until September 29th when a Bronze Star with Valor Award ceremony was held for him, including military honors like parading of the colors, singing of the national anthem by a Navy honor guard. Of course, he had his immediate family there. The VFW was there and New Jersey rep Rodney Frailing Heisen. I'm going to guess that he wasn't campaigning for this. I'm going to guess that his family found out about it. I mean, he's 100 years old. It's nice, really nice that he got to do this, uh, that he finally got to receive the medal that he'd earned. But it does make me think back to the story we talked about, I guess it was last week, where there is a soldier who I guess someone mentioned to her, like, hey, we should put you in for the Bronze Star for this, or we're going to put you in for the Bronze Star, and she didn't get it. Well, now she's kind of out there openly campaigning, has gone on the news talking about how she deserves the Bronze Star. This guy didn't do that. No. Chief Hoffman, and I'm guessing, yeah, he's a chief, definitely, looking at his uniform there. Uh, Chief Hoffman didn't campaign for this. They just figured it out. His family may have figured it out and said, hey, you got this certificate. Where's the medal? And the Navy made good on it. And that's something that I like to see. It's not something that always happens, unfortunately. But when it does, 
brings a smile to my face. Love seeing someone get the due that they deserved, even if it takes 70 years for it to happen. And even if he's 100 years old when it happens, I guarantee you he still appreciated that greatly. I know he would. All right, well, you're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Still to come on today's show, we're going to talk to Mike Barron from Military Officers Association of America. There is a new retirement system that's just started this year. It's called the Blended Retirement System, and it's essentially one that has something like a 401k that you contribute to. Well, if you joined before January 1st of this year, up to 12 years ago, so if you've got 12 years or less in service and you joined before 2018, You have until December 31st of this year to decide if you want to do the blended retirement system or stick with the old tried and true retirement system. There are benefits to both. Military Officers Association of America, they are going ahead and doing a survey to figure out why people are doing that and find out how the rollout of this program has been going. It's really fascinating stuff. It's a survey that's not aiming to change what's happening. It's a survey to take stock of everything that happens and why people are making those decisions. And, of course, some of us will probably have questions like, are they being pushed by their command one way or the other? They're not supposed to be. But, of course, we all know the way that things are supposed to be in the military, not always the way that they are. You know the way things are supposed to be here on The Morning Briefing and on ConnectingVets.com. We're giving you the best veteran-focused news, information, and so on each and every day. Follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And, of course, ConnectingVets.com is the mothership. Morning briefing, first segment over, second segment with Mike Barron of MOA, coming up right after this. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans for veterans. Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com is connecting vets every day. And we're doing it through a variety of platforms. We're talking audio like this. We're talking great video segments, great news articles coming out each and every day. Profiles of veteran success stories that may be able to provide you with some sort of roadmap to get to where you want to go, living your best veteran's life. That's what ConnectingVets.com is all about, and you can find out more about us by visiting social media and checking us out. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest currently works with the Military Officers Association of America. Prior to that, well, he worked in the Army. 30 years in the Army before retiring as a colonel. Please welcome to the show Mike Barron. Mike, how are you doing today? Great, Eric. Again, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on uh, the show today and uh, and talk about some important uh, issues with you. I really appreciate it. It's absolutely our pleasure. And before we move on to talk about a, a, an important survey that's going on as it results uh, as it pertains to retirement with uh, the Military Officers Association of America, let's talk just a little bit about your military career. Of course, you spanned both Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. 30 years in the Army, someone walks up to you, sees you wearing maybe, you know, the U.S. Army veteran ball cap or Army retired ball cap and says, well, what would you do in the Army? How do you answer that question to them, Mike? Well, thank you very much, Eric. So I had a, I had a very, very uh, great uh, career and uh, very challenging and interesting career. I was uh, very proud to have served 30 years in the Army. I was uh, an infantry officer and then later on became a, a strategist. So thir- served a full 30 years uh, and was married during that time period, uh, raised three kids. We moved about 18 times. Uh, I, am a, I am a combat veteran of Desert Storm and uh, also of Iraqi Freedom. So I had an opportunity to uh, do a number of those, uh, of those things. I also had an opportunity to do things uh, um, 
outside of uh, doing infantry things. I had an opportunity to teach at the military academy up at West Point, which was very personally and professionally uh, rewarding. And then I, I culminated my career uh, coming back from Iraq as uh, was given the opportunity to serve in the Pentagon in a number of uh, key positions, uh, working as the assistant to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for Legislative Affairs, and then also finished up working for the special assistant to the sec- as a special assistant to the Secretary of the Army. So some really challenging opportunities throughout, but a very, very uh, rewarding career, I would say, for 30 years' uh, time period. So after finishing that career, then I transitioned uh, – and I'll tell all, as I tell all veterans, a uh, ch- uh, transition can be a challenge. But mm. uh, I had the opportunity to, after looking around, be able to move into the private sector before I came to the Military Office Association of America. So I worked in the private sector for about uh, almost four years. Um, very satisfying. Uh, enjoyed it very much. Um, very challenging, but uh, really, really uh, had a very satisfying uh, career going there. And then I made a decision to move to the uh, uh, military service organization, veteran service organization uh, area in a nonprofit world uh, to be given the opportunity to uh, come and serve uh, military service members, veterans, and their families. And I've had that opportunity, a great opportunity to do that at the Military Officers Association of America. And I've been, I joined uh, MOA staff back in uh, 2013. I retired from the Army in 2010 and uh, came to uh, uh, join MOA staff in 2013. It's a great program, and it sounds like really a fascinating career that saw you able to do a lot of things. Let me ask you a question. Professor at West Point has to be the best professor's job in the country, just like Annapolis, just like Colorado Springs. They talked to me about the possibility of getting on a teacher's track when I was in college, and I said, no, I'd be fired in the first week for going after one of these kids for how disrespectful they were. Different experience, I imagine, at West Point, right? The students there are kind of required to be respectful to their professors, aren't they? They are. It's a great group of uh, young young Americans up there and people uh, to to, uh, to work with. That was again, as I said earlier, is a very very professionally and personally rewarding, uh, very very uh, um, enjoyable assignment. Uh, and and we've maintained great contact with uh, uh, my former cadets that I taught up there over the years. So very very satisfying uh, and, and again re- very professionally rewarding career. I mean uh, assignment. When you talk about serving for 30 years, I think a lot of us, an enlisted guy like me who gets out as an E6, oftentimes thinks, particularly if you make it to 06 or above, so we're talking Navy captains, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Army colonels and above, that you're just going to have a seamless, easy transition getting out, all the connections you made while you were in service. It's going to be easy street for you when you get out. Some of us also forget it was your life for three decades. What do you remember about the transition period, and what do you remember specifically about that day where you realized, I'm putting this uniform on for the last time today? Wow, a lot of a uh, uh, great question, Eric. A lot of emotions uh, tied into that. As I said earlier on, I had a very, very professionally rewarding career, um, and we, you know, starting out as a at a young age, as a you know, as a cadet at 18, and all the way up until uh, you know 30 plus years later, uh, moving on to something else. Uh, it's it's a challenge, I think, for anybody. The transition is no matter what the rank is. I don't really think the rank makes a difference. There's, it's it's you're you've done something all your life. That is, your, ever since you were a, a very young person, all the way up until you know middle age, you've uh, you've you've known who you are. You've kind of known what you, you what you were going to do and what you wanted to do. And um, and the military provides a great career with a lot of challenges for that. That I think you know uh, are rewarding to uh, to folks as they as they make a career out of it. That transition can be a real challenging time, though. It, it, it was it was for me. It was for, it, it is for pretty much everybody. And uh, you know, figuring out what what is it I'm going to do next, and finding what is that right fit for me, um, and in in my family. But basically, what is it that I want to do now? Now that I've I've completed my career, 
and I'm, I'm moving on. And so the hardest thing is really to kind of figure out what that is and take the time to do that um, and, and seek out those resources that are out there. Uh, MOA provides some great resources. I know the Department of Defense has transitioned things for you. There's a number of resources out there. I would encourage folks to utilize those resources and connect with those organizations that help provide some assistance with transition. I mentioned our own organization, MOA. We know a number of career fairs. We do a number of things to help folks, and there's other associations out there that do the same thing. But reach out and find that. Talk to folks uh, and figure out. And, I'd, and I would start early, too. Don't wait until you're, you're, you're now out um, and out of the service. But really when you start think, getting into that last year or so and you know you're going to be leaving the service, uh, whether it's retiring or you're moving on after your, your, uh, your commitment, is over with, think about, kind of make some uh, decisions about what is it you think you might want to do and start talking to people, start getting out there and trying to find those resources to help you f- kind of figure out where that's going to be. And don't be afraid to, even if you, where you go to initially, uh, it doesn't turn out to be the place you want to be. That's pretty normal for all of us, I think. When you talk to most of uh, folks of us that have, have transitioned, we've moved on to other things because we kind of, once we're out there, we figure out, well, maybe I want to try this now or maybe I want to do that. And that could be everything from being with a, a company in the business world to being in a nonprofit where I am now to some folks want to get out there and start their own business, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Or they want to go back and they want to teach school. Uh, there's a number of things that folks want to do. So um, be open to all that. Be open to those type of things. Seek seek uh, information and then be open to uh, um, those opportunities that might be out there to figure out what it is you want to do next. When it comes to MOA, the Military Officers Association of America, we're speaking with Mike Barron. He's the director of currently serving in retired affairs and government relations for MOA. Uh, what brought you to the the world of the military and veteran-focused nonprofits? What was it that attracted you to MOA and made you want to join that team? I think it was a, it was a service commitment. I, 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 I always, obviously, after 30 years in, in the Army and uh, in service uh, and then had a, a transition and went into the business uh, sector and was very satisfied there. But I, I kind of had the calling to come back and see if there was a way for me to, uh, you know, continue to serve and, and continue to serve my, you know, fellow uh, service members, veterans, and their families. Um, my daughter served. Um, and she's an Afghanistan veteran. And uh, she went through uh, some different things, some challenges as well after her, her tour duty in Afghanistan. And so I, I think that was part of the Part of it would been made it went into my decision making process. To say let's let me let me go back and see what I can do in this uh, in this sector. And I've been very satisfied with that. Working with a lot of great organizations in the military coalition, which I, I also chair the uh, re, uh, co-chair of the retired affairs committee in the military coalition, which is made up of about 32 different uh, military service and veteran service organizations, um, and uh, had great opportunity to uh, do some very worthwhile uh, things on behalf of service members, veterans, and their families over the past, uh, you know, five years that I've been with MOA. So it was kind of a calling, if you will, to continue to serve, I guess is the best answer for that. And how you're serving the community right now is through a survey. And this is related to the new blended retirement uh, system. So this took effect on January 1st. And basically, uh, everyone who joined on or after January 1st of this year is automatically in the new version of retirement for the military, which is a combination of the traditional program that we're all used to. You do your 20 years, you get out, you do all that. But there's also a contribution to a thrift savings plan, which, of course, is the military's version of a 401k that's uh, been improved substantially in recent years from when it first came out. Um, But there's a lot of question for those who were already in the service prior to that January 1st date of what they should do. And right now, there's actually an enrollment period taking place for them where they get to, to make that decision. So 
that's essentially what the survey uh, is going to take a look at, right, Mike? Tell us what the survey is all about and what you hope to find with it. So we're, our survey, and I would encourage folks, so we have it up on our, our homepage right now on, uh, at moaa.org. So I'd encourage you to go ahead and go to the survey and take the survey. So I'll tell you that up right up right up front. But this is the uh, what we call what's called the opt-in year for the uh, blended retirement system. So as you as you mentioned, Eric, the blended retirement system took effect on one January 2018. So all new service members coming into the service on or after that date are now into the under the new retirement system. So there's no there's no really choice for them on that part of it. They'll have some other decisions about how much they're going to contribute in there because it's a it changed the, the the retirement system changed a bit. We went from a really a defined benefit plan under the what we call the legacy system, the the old system that I grew up under, for example, now to a defined contribution plan, which is more similar to what you'd find in a in a civilian kind of a four hundred one k type of a plan. Um, but the folks that are there's a there's a segment of the of the currently serving active and reserve components uh, service members that are uh, eligible to opt into the new system, and that's if you have less than 12 years of, of service, or if you're a, retire, a reserve component, it would be less than 4,320 retirement points. You have the option to look at and opt into the new system. And there's a there's a, a, a training program that you're required to do with DOD and your services. You have to go through and kind of figure out what it, whether which what uh, system is going to be best for you. There's, reti- there's calculators you can use on DOD's uh, website as well as on the services website to help you figure that out. Uh, you're encouraged this year to seek out information to find out if the, if this is the right one uh, for me. Go to you know financial planners. You know obviously discussions with your spouses. Plus spouses play a huge role in this decision as well. But then making the decision and it's a one-time um, option uh, opportunity to do this during 2018 and that opportunity closes on mid- at midnight on December 31st for those folks that are eligible to opt in. So those who are over 12 years of service, they are required to stay in the old program. They don't have the ability to opt in to the new blended retirement system? That's correct, Eric. Absolutely. So basically, we've got people who joined on or after January 1st. They're not going to be able to use the old system. Those who are over 12 years, so those who joined in this date, 2006 or earlier, um, are not going to be able to take part in the new plan. Here's the question for those who are eligible for this opt-in and I imagine this is part of what the survey is going to try and find out, are they being given all the information and the correct information from their commands, from Big Army, Big Navy, Big Air Force, Big Marine Corps? What do we know about what they're getting already, and what do you think more we can find out via the survey? Right, Eric, and that's that's really what we're trying to do is uh, get a good perspective from the survey, uh, really to find out, you know, the implementation of this opt-in year and the decision-making process that, that service members went through when they made their decision of whether to stay in the legacy system, uh, which is the, the old system, or move in or opt into the new system. You know, what, what was what were the determining factors of that? So we also want to find out were they were they were service members really aware of the changes that have gone on in their retirement system? I and mean, we we other service surveys we've looked at. Uh, both from a number of organizations that are out there like Blue Star Families and stuff. There's also some confusion we've, we've picked up about what is in this new system and if it's really clear or not what, yeah. what those what those opportunities are, are provided with the new system and how it exactly it works. So we're looking also the education. It, it, the survey will also give us some idea about the education materials provided by DOD. How was that education program? Was it adequate enough? Did it provide the information that service members um, and, and their families really needed to, to look at in order to make the uh, – their decision, and then really, what were the motivators behind there? Was it, you know, uh, was there a financial incentive there that you thought that might come with a new system, 
by opting in? Was it better? Did you look at it and say, no, it's better for me to stay where I'm at in the legacy system? Did you take a look at what how your professional career was going in terms of making a looking to the future? Where where am I going to go in my career? You know, what what kind of what, how how long will I be able to stay in? Will I be able to stay for a full twenty years to get that annuity at the end? Um, so really, we'll, we'll look at a number of things that can really to, that that shows up to what was it that influenced their decision and 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 caused them to make the the choices that they did. One of the things I'd be interested to find out is whether the commands were pushing people one way or the other. That's probably not supposed to happen. However, having served in the military, we know that that's oftentimes what does happen, that they will push you. You're allowed to do whatever you want. However, we think you should do this. Is there any of that going on? And if so, why? Because it doesn't seem to me like there are that many people who are fully aware of what the differences between these programs are and what the benefits would be and who might benefit the most from them. Uh, do we have uh, you know, any insight into how the military is handling that, if there are specialists who are supposed to be traveling around teaching people about this, or is it just a pamphlet that you know, Seaman Drifty is going to toss in the, uh, the garbage can as he leaves to go on liberty that day? Uh, no, I guess to go to the first, your first uh, point, Eric, is that there's the, there, this is supposed to be the service member's individual decision, those eligible that, to opt in. So there is no pressure. There shouldn't be any pressure out there uh, to uh, – Shouldn't be. Yeah, of shouldn't be any pressure out there to uh, push anybody to, to any particular system here. Uh, so DOD has, has, has worked pretty hard to put out information both on their websites – uh, for for folks to uh, be able to get uh, information on the blended retirement system, in order to opt into the new system, the individual service member has to go through a multi-staged uh, training uh, uh, session that that asks them multiple times as they go through it. Are you, are you sure you want to opt in? But and so the service member's got to do that on their own. So there's really I don't, I don't see where the opportunity for someone to put pressure on them mm. would really come about. But they have to go through that, and then at the end, when they do make their decision to come into the new, uh, to cho- if they choose to opt into the new uh, BRS, the, the decision once it's made is irrevocable. Hmm. So that's why I think DOD's really made pains uh, to push forward and 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 put out a, a training program. And that's one of the things we want to evaluate: how really how good was that training program to uh, ensure that service members are informed about the new system, and also. Uh, that, and spouses can get on and look at this information as well uh, through a, a number of sources uh, to find out what, what it is because, again, spouses are going to be really uh, important in making this decision along in a, with their service member about what they should do and whether they should, whether or not they should opt into this new system. Uh, but, but, again, going through that training program, uh, we're gonna, we'll find out, I think, from based on our survey, how well that was done, how adequate that was, that information was, and then really what at the end – uh, made their decision, and we ask them a number of questions related to that. Was it was it the DoD training program that made you, helped you make your decision? Was it your spouse? Was it you know a mentor, someone somewhere, some other service member? Was it some kind of a, a financial incentive that you learned about on the program that made you just decide to change, or to, that, that made you decide to stay with the legacy system? So we're gonna we, we're hoping to find out a lot of information based on this survey. So we really want to, what we really want to do, Eric, is try to get uh, the survey taken by a number of as many folks as we can out there in the currently serving active and reserve component uh, so we can get a pretty good idea uh, on this. And we've asked a number of organizations also to partner with us to help us get that out there uh, in the widest uh, distribution possible. We're speaking with Mike Barron. Mike retired from the Army after 30 years and is currently serving as the Director of Currently Serving and Retired Affairs, Government Relations for Military Officers Association of America. 
a.k.a. MOA. When we talk about this survey, what is the end goal of it? What do you hope to do with that information that you gather from the survey as the program's already initiated? That's not going to be changed. Is this more to uh, provide data and insight for future programs that are similar or the implementation of future programs? Or what do we think this data will be useful for? I think it's going to help, help us provide a number of those uh, of those uh, answers there as well. But it's going to give us a good a good perspective regarding the implementation and the decision-making process that service members went through. And, and, and again, really focused in on this opt-in year, this one-time opt-in year. Um, and, and also how well uh, the education program was implemented by DOD. Um, gives, give us some pretty good feedback on that. But again, most importantly, you know, what made, what, what went into that, uh, you know, uh, that, the decision-making process of the service members who are eligible to either stay in the legacy system or to move on into the into the, uh, mm. the BRS. It's going to provide us, we think, that kind of information. And we're going to be sharing that. Once we get all that, we'll want to share that information pretty widely as well. One of the most interesting aspects of this new blended retirement system is the fact that there is this option for one year for certain people. It's those between you know, December 31st, 2017, basically, and who had served up to 12 years up to that point. They have the option to opt into this. Most of the time when the military or DOD during my time in, if they enacted something, there was no option. There was a day that it changed. That was the day. Uh, is, is this kind of a new approach to things that you think the military may take more often when it comes to large changes that they make, when it comes to pay, when it comes to other programs like thrift savings or whatever? Uh, do you see more of this happening in the future or does that depend on how this goes? Well, I think it, it, some of it depends on how this goes, but I think it was a, it was a conscious decision by DOD to uh, provide that opportunity rather than just having a, a set date that everything has changed to allow those service members the opportunity to look at this new system that we're in that, in that, in that one window, again, less than 12 years of service or less than 4,320 points. And the reason they picked those dates there is they want to provide the service member uh, that's making that real, this really, really important decision uh, the opportunity to, if they do opt into the new system, uh, that they can, you know, really maximize their opportunity to gain the most out of that benefit over the time they have remaining in service. So we wanted to provide that 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 window for them to do that. Um, this this could be the feedback that we get. Uh, we'll, we're going to share this obviously with DoD as well. And we when we do we talk with DoD very regularly, the folks that are uh, that are implementing the uh, the new retirement system in this opt-in year. And we want to share this information with them. I think it's going to provide us a number of answers back in terms of, um, again, the decisions here, how well this, you know, moving forward on this and if uh, took place. And if it, if it went really well and we can provide, you know, gain that from this, this survey and, and be able to provide that back to DOD, I think it's something that we can use in our discussions with them moving forward on other programs that are being implemented, maybe to do something if we need to similar to this to, that, that allows that uh, kind of a transition, if you will, over into a new system. When it comes to the MOA survey, how long do people have to figure it out or to sign it out? I should say, fill it out. You can go to the MOA website, moaa.org, and it's right there on the front page. It's one of the first things you see. What's the deadline for filling out the survey, Mike? So we've, we've, we launched the survey effective today, and we're, uh, we're going to keep it open until about uh, mid-December. So we're, we're, we want to get, uh, again, we want, we're, we want to get as many folks to be able to participate in the survey as we can. We've tried to keep the survey in a very, it's very simple, very straightforward uh, it shouldn't take uh, uh, someone who goes on to uh, clicks onto the survey and starts it should be able to finish it up very quickly. It's very straightforward, uh, and, and uh, I think again it'll provide a lot of uh, good information for us to use. And, and again, we've also asked a number of organizations to uh, that uh, to partner with us to help us get that 
distributed out to as many currently serving uh, active and reserve component service members as possible. We've been speaking with Mike Barron, United States Army, retired about him. He's currently the director of currently serving and retired affairs and government relations for Military Officers Association of America. And we've been talking about the new blended retirement system and MOA's survey on that, which you can find on their website, moaa.org. Let me ask you, Mike, if someone comes up and says, why should I become a member of MOA? How would that benefit me? What do you say to someone on the street who finds out that you're a MOA man and, and asks whether they should join or not? So we have, so our name is the Military Officers Association of America, but we, we represent all service members, um, you know, uh, veterans and their families. We we work hard on that. And so every issue that we take and abdicate on, if you will, uh, whether with, with Congress or, or or with Department of Defense, whether it's pay raise, uh, pay and benefits, those type of issues, the GI Bill, or the blended retirement survey, the, uh, those type of issues, we, we advocate on behalf of all service members, veterans and their families. And uh, so we're, uh, we take the responsibility, if you will, inherited being an officer of serving the troops. And that's what we do. That is an important thing, and I'm glad that there are organizations out there like MOA who are doing that and doing great work. And in this case, gathering information that's going to be of use both to DOD, the veteran community, and of course your own organization and other veteran-focused nonprofits uh, is really great that you're doing that. And Mike, if people are interested in finding out more about MOA, about joining, about filling out the survey, where do they go to do so? I would say go to our go to our uh, home homepage, our website, uh, MOA.org, and find out a wealth of information. I uh, would highly encourage you to go on there. We've got a lot of information about transition opportunities as well. But uh, look at our website and our, our homepage. A lot of information along with uh, taking our survey. Uh, check us out. There's, we have a lot of information there, uh, and you'll see a lot of the things that we are involved in uh, that I think you'll find is an interest, broad interest out there in, in serving you know, the, the military community and military and veteran community. And we want to thank Mike Barron of the Military Officers Association of America for joining us here on The Morning Briefing. And as Justin Brown is not going to be able to make it into it today, as we just found out, that's going to end today's show. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And we want to invite you to check out ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, follow us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We have a variety of content aimed at you the veteran and veteran-adjacent community. We want to help you live your best veteran life and keep you up to date on what's taking place in the veteran community. And we're doing it all at ConnectingVets.com. On behalf of the team at ConnectingVets.com, I'm your host, Eric Dame. This has been the Morning Briefing Tuesday edition, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.